Today's reading is taken from 2 Samuel 7, verses 1, all the way through to 29, and can be found on page 310 of the Pew Bibles. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they can have a home of their own, and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them any more, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since." The time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all of your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. And I will establish this kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne for his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of your servants, and this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human? What more can David say to you? For you know your servants, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There was no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people, Israel? the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders 
driving, by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people, Israel, as your very own forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servants and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessings the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Um, those of you who don't know me or haven't seen me for a while, my name's Nigel. I'm part of the preaching and worship team here. Um, it's uh, good to be here. Uh, I need to start with a thank you and an apology. Uh, thank you to Lisa for reading a reading that was more than twice as long as she was expecting it to be. And uh, an apology to Soren for having a reading that was more than twice as long as he was expecting to project on the screen. Um, I told everybody else, Soren, and I forgot you. I'm sorry. There we go. Um, if you've been coming to St. John's for a while now, um, over recent weeks, months, you know that we're uh, in a series entitled Our Promised King, and we're looking at uh, the story of David and, uh, and others in 2 Samuel. The story so far has been that um, David has become king, Saul has ceased to be king, he was the first king of Israel, David is now the new king of Israel, and things have progressed to the point where there is now peace in the land, there is, um, David's kingdom is established and he's uh, living in a comfortable house, living in a comfortable palace made of cedar, um, but the ark of God, the, the box that... Uh, Moses created for the tabernacle is still in the tabernacle. It's been in the tabernacle these last 40 years or so. Um, somebody recently suggested maybe the tabernacle's getting a bit tatty. It's been out in the desert all this time. And uh, David is concerned that he is living in a posh house and God isn't. David wants to build a house for God. Initially, in the beginning of the Reading that we just had, Nathan thinks this is a good idea, but God has a better idea, as Eddie explained to us mostly last week. David is not going to be the one to build a house, a temple, a physical building for God's uh, to live in. For God to live in, Solomon would do that later on, but God promises something bigger. He promises to David a dynasty, uh, a line of succession that's going to go on. But it's going to go on, not just for a while, but it's going to go on forever. And it's going to go on until it comes to a specific person. Uh, God talks to David about him dying, David dying, about his son Solomon dying. But he talks about somebody who is described as his kingdom 
Not their kingdom, but his kingdom will last forever. And who is it to be? It is to be God's own son. Verse 14, if you've got your Bible open in front of you, my son, his father, God says, this is the one who is to come. And as we follow this story through, we come to realize that the promised one is Jesus. Jesus, son of David. Quite interesting if you're reading your New Testament, see how often people say to Jesus or describe Jesus as son of David, God's own son. He also died, but he rose again and lives forever. We covered that mostly last week. But some of that is jumping ahead a bit. David receives this news from Nathan that he's going to have this dynasty built for him. And how does he respond? He responds in prayer. And that's a good point for us to pause and pray. Father God, Lord Almighty, teach us how and why to pray. As we look at David's prayer, we thank you, like him, for your love and your grace. Teach us how to love and serve you more. In Jesus, our Saviour's name, we pray. Amen. So, David at prayer. Let me ask you a question. Let's ask us a question. How is our prayer life? How is our prayer life? It's a reasonable question for you to ask the people who stand at the front. And I have to tell you quite honestly... Mine is in constant need of improvement. It could use some improvement in terms of quantity. It could probably use some improvement in terms of quality as well. But we're going to look at David's prayer here in the second part of this chapter. David, it says, comes in and sits before God. Where does he come in? I'm guessing he probably goes into the tabernacle, the tent that he's trying to replace. And He comes to sit before God in order to bring his prayers before him, to speak to God there. And what is it that we can learn for our prayer life from David's prayer here? And the first question is, when we pray, do we acknowledge who God is? When we pray, do we acknowledge who God is? I wonder how we address God in prayer. Uh, Faith led our prayers a few months ago. You've probably noticed some of the ways in which she addressed God. Lord, Father, Almighty. What, What phrases or words do we use to address God when we come to him? Notice, if you've got your Bible open, how often David addresses God as sovereign Sovereign. Seven times he does it. Verses 18, 19, 19, 20, 22, 25, 29. Sovereign, he says. And yet David is the king. David is the king of Israel. And yet he acknowledges that God is his king. The king of king. Which prompts the question, is God really our king? We have a relatively new king. He's called Charles III. And uh, does he rule? Yeah, I guess. 
does he have complete authority? Well, no, he has to obey Parliament. Uh, we only get laws when he signs them, so he has some sort of authority. Do we obey what King Charles says? Not specifically, perhaps. Um, hopefully we obey some or most of the laws that he signs, but he doesn't have that kind of authority over us. But David calls God his sovereign. Is God our king? Again, if you've got your Bible open, you'll notice that the word sovereign is, I think, always followed by another word, the word Lord. It is sovereign Lord that David calls him. And if you notice, you probably know this, the word Lord is in capital letters. You probably know the significance of that, that when Lord is in our Bibles in capital letters in English, it represents God's personal name. So when we pray, do we recognize God as sovereign, king, with the right to rule? But do we also recognize that perhaps there are times in our relationship with God when personal names are significant? He knows my name. I know his name. We normally have the word Lord in capitals because there's a kind of a tradition that comes down from the Jews that God's name is too holy to say. Typically, we think that it might be Yahweh. But do we know him at a level, not only that he is high and mighty and king, but do we know him at a personal level too? But David goes on and says... Lord Almighty. He says, God is unique. There is no God but you, verse 22. There are plenty of other designations that we might use for God, that God is holy, that God is powerful, judge, merciful, that he is Father. Which brings us back to the question, how might our prayer life be enriched if we find and discover in our Bible readings attributes and designations of God that we come to accept and love and use and respond to and then use in our praise and our worship? How do we acknowledge who God is? When you came in, hopefully, most of you received a little piece of paper. Um, you can do what you like with it. It's fine. It's got a few headings on it, and it might be that you would like to jot down on there some of the designations of God that you use and think about them on another occasion. Or maybe jot down some of the designations of God that we find in the Bible that you don't use and think, how do I respond to God being this name, this attribute? Take it away and think about it. When we pray, how do we acknowledge who God is. But when we pray, do we acknowledge who we are? Who we are. The second space on your piece of paper says, I am. Notice how ten times in the passage that we read together, in this short prayer, David describes himself as servant. Your servant, Lord. Your servant, your servant. And also, he calls himself just a mere human being. 
Not just a servant, but your servant. God is sovereign. David serves. If we acknowledge God as who he is, if we acknowledge God as sovereign and king, do we acknowledge who we are in relation to him? You'll know some of the parables and stories that Jesus told, but essentially a servant does what his master bids him to do. A servant knows his duties, his responsibilities, and a good servant will get on and do them. A servant knows the gifts that his master has given him, the talents, if you like, you know that parable, their master has given and uses his opportunity to use them appropriately in his master's service. How do we acknowledge who we are before God? And how might our prayer life be enriched if we are serious about our relationship to God? Servant, disciple, follower, son, family member. You might add to your piece of paper who I am before God. When we pray, how do we acknowledge who God is? When we pray, how do we acknowledge who we are? When we pray, do we acknowledge what God has already done for us? What has God done for us? What has God done for you? Could you write a list? Put something on your paper. God has what for you? What has God done that you bless him for? What is it that you are grateful for? Something that causes you to praise him. Do we go back to those kinds of things time and time again and remind ourselves that we're thankful that God has brought us this far? God has brought us to this place, as David does. David has a list of things he's grateful for. Verse 18, you have brought me this far. Verse 19, you spoke to me. Verse 21, you have done great things, God. 22, there is no one like you. 23, you redeemed your people. 23 again, you performed great wonders. You established your people. 24, you are our God. Your covenant is trustworthy. Verse 28. David has a list of things that he brings before God and thanks and praises him for. But interestingly, God also has a list. Verses 8 to 11 in the earlier part of the chapter. God says, I gave you rest. I brought you out of Egypt. I moved you with my people. I took you from the pasture to the flock. I appointed you to be ruler. I have been with you. I appointed leaders alongside you. God reminds us sometimes of some of the things that he has done for us. Do we remember them and use them? A few minutes ago, we sang a song that I requested that we added to the order of service, and that is Matt Redmond's song, 10,000 Reasons. If you've only been coming to the church for a comparatively short period of time, like within the last five years or so, you probably will not know that uh, in the end of 2015, beginning of 2016, uh, 
there was a small group of us who met for prayer and we, uh, we sang 10,000 Reasons on one occasion and the question came up and said, could we actually think of 10,000 reasons to thank and praise God? Well, we started coming to the prayer meeting on a regular basis with little bits of paper with two or three things on it and we started making a list and we very quickly realized that we were never going to get to 10,000 reasons that way. So we opened it up to the whole church and we started typing up the list and we sellotaped them or blue tacked them to the back wall of the church and we practically covered that back wall of the church with 10,000 reasons to thank and praise God. What reasons do we still have? Many of these probably that we still think God is worth thanking and praising for because of what he has done for us. When we pray, do we acknowledge what God has already done for us? And finally, when we pray, do we acknowledge what God will do in the future? We thank God for what he's already done. We thank him for what he's promised. Do we thank him for what he's promised and what he will do? God has made us promises. Do we believe them? Do we trust him for them? Do we remind God of them, not because he's forgotten them, but because we remind him of them, because, Lord, it's still in my mind, I'm still trusting you for what you said you would do for me, for us. In David's prayer, David several times asked God to keep his promises, verse 25. Keep forever your promises. Do as you have promised. You have promised, verse 28. David does not list them, not here, because God already has, verse 10 onwards, I will make, I will provide, I will plant, I will give, I will establish, I will raise up, I will establish again, I will be, he will be, I will punish, my love will never, your kingdom will endure, your throne will be established forever. Thirteen times God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. What has God promised you and me? And do we respond to what he has promised us? To conclude, prayer is an essential part of our relationship with God. Not just once saved and got a ticket to heaven and all will be well, but we are called to live life on a daily basis following Jesus, which prompts us to ask, how is our prayer life? Could it be enhanced by more carefully considering who God is? Could it be enhanced by reassessing who we really are in relation to him? Could it be enhanced by remembering that all that God has already done for us? Could it be enhanced by expressing our continuing trust in what God will yet do? Above all, how have we responded to Jesus, our promised King? Let's take a moment to pray. Father, God, 
Creator, Almighty One, Saviour, Redeemer, King of Kings and Lord of All. We bow for a moment before you, your children, fallible human beings, your servants. We thank and bless you for all your gifts, for life, for love, for grace and guidance, for supplying our needs, for forgiving our sins, for your spirit poured out, for your word read and taught and preached, for adopting us into your family, for this day, for your church, for those who love us, lead us, encourage us. Most of all, for Jesus, our Savior, Son of David, Son of God. And we trust you to fulfill the promises that you have made to us, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you've prepared a place for us, that we would never walk through this world alone, that you will be with us in times of difficulty as well as good, that your grace is sufficient and that you are always faithful. Give us new hearts, we ask. Pour your Spirit on us again. Holy and sovereign Lord, we praise you. Amen.